We are going to be finishing off today our series in Philippians. So we're going to be reading together from Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through to 23 at the end of the chapter. And we're going to do that uh, right now. So if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to get them out, open them up. If you read on a device, then turn it on. The, the verses will be on the screen uh, just up here, but I, please... I'd always encourage you, read it for yourself. Don't just take it for granted that what I've told you is there is there. Open your Bible and read. Uh, So we're going to read together from Philippians 4, verse 10 through 23. And then we're going to dig in uh, and see what Paul has to say as he concludes this letter to the church at Philippi. Let's read, shall we? I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that every syllable was breathed out by you and is useful for us that we might be trained in godliness. It's useful that we might be taught and corrected by necessary rebuked, that we might be encouraged and strengthened and grow to maturity in the faith as we see you more fully through your word. Lord, I pray that you would take it now and apply it to our hearts and lives. Lord, for your glory we ask. In the name of Jesus, amen. Good. Well, as we come to the end of this series in the book of Philippians, I'm sure some of you will have noticed that we have today what is without doubt one of the most popular and often quoted verses in the whole Bible. You know the one. I think most of every we went through it, you went, oh, I know that one. I can do all things. I can. 
<laughs> oh, you know the verse. It is one of the most often quoted and tragically one of the most often abused verses in Scripture. And so I want us to look at it today and see what does it mean? What did Paul mean when he wrote that from his own personal perspective and as an encouragement for the church at Philippi and in turn us today? Because human nature often leads us, and this is why it's so often misquoted, to, to have it mean what we would really like it to mean, which is that whatever I want to do, whatever I set my mind to, I will be able to accomplish it in Jesus. <laughs> as though Jesus is some kind of superpower-granting genie. Like, as long as I want to do it in him, I can do literally whatever I want. This is the spirit of the age. Actually, if you drop Jesus out of the equation, it's exactly what society tells people. This is... Self-definition, self-actualization. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to be, you can do it. You just drop Jesus out of the equation. This is the message. You can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want. And we label it empowerment. So it's like a really good thing that we could tell people. But actually we should call it crazy doesn't help people one jot. We should have goals and ambitions. That's not wrong. But self-definition. You can be whoever you want. Self-actualization. You be the best you you can be. How you think that looks is not the gospel. And it's really not what this verse means. This verse isn't whatever I set my mind to I can do. Because I'm amazing. <laughs> Some famous examples of people coming really unstuck in using this verse that way. Some of you may remember a boxer called Evander Holyfield. He was a very successful boxer. He loved this verse. Has it emblazoned on some of his boxing kit. It was like his slogan. I can do all things. I'm going to be the heavyweight champion of the world. And he, he made a big deal of this. And he beat Mike Tyson. Proof, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Even knock out Mike Tyson. And, and then he lost to Lennox Lewis. <laughs> After championing the same version, you think, oh, whoops. <laughs> and some of you might have seen it on motivational posters. It's the kind of verse that people love to quote, don't they? I put it on these inspirational posters. I can do all things. Maybe some of you might be able to identify with a slightly smaller scale way that, that we can be tempted to take this kind of verse and, and make it mean what we want it to mean rather than considering what it really does mean like a last minute prayer when you're heading into an interview or sitting an exam, heading into that important meeting at work and you haven't really prepared as diligently as you should have done. I'm sure... All of you have always very thoroughly prepared for those scenarios, and so this doesn't apply to you. But, but just put yourself in the position of someone who may not have prepared for that meeting, but who would treat this verse how it's often treated. Lord, it says in your word, I can do all things. It's in your word. So I'm standing on your word. 
I can do this. But that's not what God's word actually has to say to us here. It's not what Paul writes, and it's certainly not how it applies to our lives. And, and that might leave some of you feeling like, oh, that's a bit deflating. Like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> but I want you to know that what this verse really means is far more profound and far more powerful and far more beautiful and far more comforting than its comparison. Yeah? So if you, if you thought this was about, I, I can do whatever I want, be whoever I want, like Jesus is going to do that for me. This, what it actually means, is so much more amazing and more comforting than being able to do whatever you want. So let's look at what it actually does mean. Well, the context is that Paul, in this closing section, is, is thanking the Philippian church for gifts that they have sent for him in order to help him continue spreading the gospel to those in need. Paul's in prison, or he's kind of under house arrest. And even in that context, they're, they're sending funds to help him to continue to spread the gospel to those around him. They've given gifts before, although not for a while. He, he says, I don't know if you noticed, he says, you've renewed your concern for me in, in that he's talking about you've, you've sent gifts again. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, like your heart was to do something, but you had no opportunity. You weren't able, but now you've been able again and you've sent gifts to support the spread of the gospel. And Paul writes this, and this is, these are the context of those verses. This is so important. In verse 11, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learnt in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul wants the church at Philippi to know that he's thankful for their gifts. He, he's not ignoring it. He's not dismissive of their generosity. He's genuinely thankful but he was also content without them if they hadn't have sent funds. Not that I am in need, or another translation would say, not that I have ever been in need, essentially. Paul's perspective is this. It's God who provides. And he expresses here, doesn't he? He's had lots. And in the world's eyes, he's had Nothing. <laughs> And in all of those circumstances, Paul's perspective is that God has provided perfectly. He's, he's had abundance. And he's been shipwrecked and lost everything. He's experienced all of these different things. And his perspective is that through all of them, God has provided. And so Paul has learned to be content. How's he learned to be content? says, doesn't he? He says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. It's content in all of those circumstances. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Because he's in Jesus, 
Paul can be content, regardless of his external circumstances. This is what he's talking about. For Paul, the thing that he's holding on to, whether he's got lots or nothing, whether he's comfortable or being tortured in prison, regardless of his circumstances, he's holding on to the fact he has everything he needs in Christ. Because he has an eternal perspective. And that eternal perspective is making all the difference to how he's living here and now. His future is secure. If you're in Christ, your future is secure. Yes? Eternity is a long time. And with Christ, it's utterly awesome. And in contrast to that, even the most challenging circumstances here and now, abject poverty, imprisonment, beatings, starvation. These are the things that Paul's endured, that he's able to write about. Those things, he writes in one of his other letters, seem light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of being with Christ. Paul understood that in Jesus, God had perfectly provided for all of his needs. Is that your perspective today? It's not to say it will be easy. It's not to say that you're supposed to enjoy hardship or loss or suffering. But to say that in those moments, actually we can know peace. We can know contentment. Because in him we have all we need. Paul understood when he wrote these words the deepest need of humanity. The deepest need of humanity is relationship with God. It's what we were created for. And in Christ, through his finished work at the cross, it's what we can receive and enjoy. It's been made possible. So in knowing Jesus, we can be truly satisfied. And because Paul's contentment and satisfaction didn't come from having a lot, or being comfortable, but instead came from his relationship with God and the hope of glory that is in Christ Jesus, he could go through the highs and lows and he could do all of that through Christ who gives him strength. See, we all know the reality that we look for satisfaction in all kinds of things, don't we? We just do but they won't ever truly satisfy us. And Paul had grasped that truth. Looking to Jesus in all things and thanking God for his provision in all things, Paul was content. External circumstances could change, like in the extreme could change. Like this guy had experienced more ups and downs and extreme changes in in his external circumstances than any of us are likely to. Like, he, he was the religious elite. Like, he was so well regarded as a Jew. Like, the Jew of Jews. Like, he... Paul had it set. He encountered Jesus. And then he truly had it set from that moment on he experienced 
beatings, torture, imprisonment, popularity, hatred, rumors, <laughs> like, <laughs> and he could go through all of that. So I'm content because I have all I need in Jesus. Most of us, not all, but mo- most of us have fairly stable circumstances from a material perspective. Some of you earn good money. If we talk about actual need, I would say most, if not all of us, have more than we need. Many of us, by a long way, actually, materially. But I bet there are times when it isn't enough. No matter how much you've got or how much you earn, I bet there are times when it doesn't feel like it's enough. Because our world is set up (laughs) to constantly make you want more. And it's not always about material things. Could be a relationship. Maybe for years, like, if only I was married. (laughs) If only we had a child. And I understand that is a genuine, deep desire that when unmet can be incredibly painful. Understand that. If only I had, if only we could, then I'd be satisfied, then we'd have enough, then I'd be fulfilled. (laughs) Guys, the truth is, when you live with an if only, then you're not content. (laughs) When you live that way, You don't experience or enjoy the contentment that you should do. Being content in Christ means if you have it or you don't, it's okay. Like you could lose everything and that wouldn't be easy. But it would genuinely be okay because in Christ you would still have the most important thing. You would still have what you were actually designed for, what you were created for. In fact, sometimes losing everything is the best thing that can happen for someone, as contradictory and topsy-turvy as that sounds, because it helps us to get our priorities right. It helps us to understand what's really important leads us to a place of leaning into and trusting on God. Finding your delight in Him and not other things. The Bible's actually littered with examples of people for whom that was their experience. My parents have been a a great model of this for me. Growing up, we didn't actually ever have a lot. Sometimes we had more than other times. (laughs) But in all of it, my parents were generous. In all of it, they were content. 
And they're still the same now, by, by the world's standards. By globally, they're wealthy, clearly. <laughs> Every one of us is. But on UK standards, they've never had a great deal. But they've been incredibly content through it. If they got it, then they're content. And if they haven't, then they're content. They've never been precious about things. If they've got one and you need it, you can have it. Because having it or not having it isn't making them content. It's not where it's rooted. Their external circumstances can shift without their internal contentment evaporating. That was the case for Paul. It should be the case for us when we look to Christ. We lean on him. Increasingly, that's where we find ourselves. Oswald Chambers, Scottish evangelist, commented this on the life of Paul. He said, The Apostle Paul had a strong and steady underlying consistency in his life. Consequently, he could let his external life change without internal distress because he was rooted and grounded in God. Most of us are not consistently, uh, not consistent spiritually because we're more concerned about being consistent externally. It's a challenge, eh? I think we can spend lots of time and energy in trying to create a consistent, secure external environment. We, we choose where we live, we choose the schools we send our children to, we choose the job we do, we choose these things to create as much stability in our external environment as we're able to. And that's okay to a point. But if we're investing more concern and energy in those things than we are in our internal stability rooted in Christ, then we've utterly missed the point and we will never actually be content. I need to ask you to consider today, what are you more fixed on? External stability circumstantial stability or internal and eternal security in Christ Jesus. Guys, we've got to be investing in the right thing. Paul continues. He continues to express his gratitude for the Philippians' generosity. But, but it's interesting as he does, you'll see that he's not actually as interested in the gifts themselves as he is in something else. I don't know if you noticed as we read it, he actually said, said, not that I seek the gift. You think, oh, hang on. Like he's thanking them for their generosity, but then he's like, not that I'm looking for you to give me anything actually. Like I'm grateful for it, but that's not actually my main concern here. And the Philippians have given their support before multiple times. We read it in his. When I left Macedonia, no other church entered into partnership with me except you. And then another occasion, even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. The Philippian Christians are actually a model of generosity. 
They're an incredibly generous bunch of people. They weren't super wealthy. The, the, the church at Philippi weren't like these kind of big money people who were like, just like sending out of their great riches to Paul. You, sometimes, I think sometimes we have a really messed up view in, in modern life of actually how the gospel is advanced. And, and sometimes... I don't have a pro- I've got lots of friends in the American church. This isn't a pop at the American church. But we kind of have this view sometimes because of how some American churches are structured that they have these huge kind of gala fundraisers where wealthy Christian business people and others who just want to do good, philanthropists, give huge amounts of money that then get... But actually, in the grand scheme of their own personal wealth, those are quite small amounts of money, but huge amounts of money that gets sent to help mission around the globe. That wasn't the case with the church at Philippi. These were not big business people sending out of their abundance. That There were more wealthy people among them. But as a whole group, they were not rich. In fact, they were quite poor. There was a cost to their generosity. We read about them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. That's the Philippian church. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So they were so desperate to support what Paul and his companions were doing in taking the gospel to other places that even though they were poor, they pleaded with them, please let us send you money. Please let us support what you're doing. We want other people to hear the good news of Jesus, that their lives might be transformed just as ours have been, that they might know the joy and contentment of being in Christ just as we have. It's hard. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. They gave even beyond their ability. They were so eager, the church at Philippi, for the gospel to be proclaimed and for people to be able to hear and receive the good news of Jesus Christ that they gave to Paul and his travel companions even beyond what they could really afford like beyond what common sense would dictate they should have done. And in the light of this incredible generous spirit, what does Paul say? I mean, he does thank them. He's grateful. I rejoice in the Lord that you renewed your concern for me. That's what it said in verse 10 as we read this. But now in 17, he says, not that I seek the gift. I haven't come looking for your financial support. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. It's worded unusually in the ESV. NIV is slightly more transparent in the way it's worded, just because it's a slight paraphrase. It's not quite as literal a rendering, but it, it makes more sense to our English minds. He says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. 
What is Paul wanting to be credited to their account? What, is he, what fruit is he wanting to increase to their credit? Well, provision from God? Yes. But also blessing from God in other ways. That God sees their generosity and it doesn't go unnoticed. Paul wants to assure them and affirm them in the fact that what is important to him is not what they give, but the fact that they are giving and their heart in doing so. Because that's going to bear fruit. The main reason Paul is thankful for their gifts isn't actually the gifts themselves. Because, as he's already said, he has all he needs in Christ. God's going to provide. I can have a lot, I can have little. You could send gifts, you could not send gifts. I'm content. I'm content. This is not about the gifts themselves. It's that their generous giving demonstrates a godly attitude towards money and possessions that will bear fruit in their lives. Their gifts, because of the heart in which they're given are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That's what Paul says here. Do you notice? He, he talks about their gifts. Well supplied, received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Well, how does he look at those gifts? First and foremost, they are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Out of his personal experience of contentment in all things, Paul wants to make sure they know, and we know in turn, that we can trust God. He's confident, isn't he? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Like We know from the context. We know from the life of Paul that when he says that, he doesn't mean you're going to have all the material shiny things you want. He doesn't actually even mean that you're never going to go to bed with an empty stomach. Because he did. But his perspective was that he had all he needed in Christ. Because he was talking about it's internal and eternal security, not his external circumstances. He was confident, as we should be confident, that in Christ God has provided and will provide all we need. Not necessarily all we want, but all we need. That the one who calls the stars out each night and knows them all by name. The one who has given you the very breath in your lungs in this moment. The one who spoke this world into motion and sustains it by the power of his word. The one who knows and cares even if a sparrow falls to the ground. Cares for you and will provide for you. And what's more, he has already provided in the most incredible way imaginable because he has provided for your deepest need not just in a moment but for all eternity Jesus has made it possible for you to be forgiven 
for you to be brought into relationship with God. That's what you were made for. Knowing God and delighting in him is where true contentment, peace, and joy comes from. God has provided. And knowing that he has provided, Paul is able to conclude saying to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Glory to God is Paul's focus as he comes to the end of this letter. Paul isn't looking for or working towards or desiring his exaltation. Paul isn't looking for them to be like, wow, Paul, you're so amazing. He's also not teaching them or us to expect glory or desire glory for ourselves but instead to have a perspective in all things that recognizes God alone is worthy. We sang it together earlier this afternoon. You are worthy of all praise. This is Paul's perspective, and it must be ours, that God deserves all the glory and recognition. The result of that perspective is that in contentment and overflowing generosity, our desire is that God would be glorified, not that people would be. See, if our perspective is that God provides, who gets the glory? It's not a trick question. If your perspective is that God provides. Who gets the glory? God. If your perspective is that whether you have much or little, whether you know freedom or whether you feel like you're just a bit squashed right now, that even in those circumstances, God has perfectly provided for all your needs. Who gets the glory? God. If your contentment comes from knowing him, knowing that he truly gives all we need for all eternity, if we acknowledge that the very breath in our lungs right in this moment comes from him, then who gets the glory? He does. See, right at the end of this letter, even in thanking them for their gifts. And then if you notice some of what Paul's done, I've got time to go into it in all the detail I'd love to, but Paul brings them back to some of the core messages that he sounded out time and time again in this letter. His perspective that shapes this letter, that to live is Christ, to die is gain. I don't know if you remember reading that together earlier in the series. Doesn't that just ring out in this? I've learned the secret of being content. <laughs> doesn't matter what happens to me externally. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Like, you could do your worst to me. You could take everything from me. You could take my life itself. To die is gain. He's perfectly provided for me. That's Paul's perspective. 
that all things compared to the joy of knowing Christ pale into insignificance. I don't know if you remember looking at that together earlier in the series. Again, doesn't that just ring out here? That if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you're truly a citizen of heaven and not of this earth. You have an all-surpassing hope. And your citizenship of heaven shapes the way you live and engage here and now. And the Lord is near. And because he's near, your hope is secure. And present help is certain. And that means you can know peace. Real, lasting, deep peace. Contentment in all circumstances. Contentment that frees you from worry. Actually, contentment that frees you from feeling like things need to be a certain way in your life in order for you to feel secure. All the different things that we try and kind of pad around us. Contentment that says, actually, it's okay. Like they're nice, but I don't need them. Our security is in Him, our peace comes from Him. You don't need to worry about anything. Remember what He said in chapter 4 the Lord is at hand. When we know our security in him, we can join Paul in this. We can hear this encouragement and say, yeah, amen. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He hears, he knows, and he provides. So whether we have much or whether we have little, we can be content. I want to pray for us to that end, and then I wonder if we come back to worship.